Sentire media. Ciao a tutti e welcome to Venice Talks, a new podcast series about the city on water, hosted by me, Monica Cesarato, a Venetian food and travel blogger. I am going to put my insider knowledge at your disposal to help you discover Venice at 360 degrees. Did you know there are two ways to visit Venice? You can follow the rush of tourists dragging themselves along a route chosen by another 20 million people every year, or you can leave this path trying to discover the real city. Every week, I'm going to find out what's going on in the city, uncovering the stories and speaking to the people that matter, the Venetians, artisans, writers, fashion designers, artists, glassmakers, bloggers, food experts, tourist guides, and much more. Just you wait and find out. These conversations want to animate, educate, and create discussions on how to visit Venice in the right and sustainable way. You can find me on my blog, www.monicacesarato.com, and also on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Monica Cesarato. And now, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Venice Talks, episode number one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Venice Talks. Today, I'm talking to Marisa Convento. Marisa is an Imperaressa, and pretty soon she will tell us what an Imperaressa is. She's from Venice, and she is very famous in the city. Uh, she, in 2018, she actually won the prize for, she won an award, the San Marco Award for the best ambassador for the artisans of the city of Venice, for spreading uh, the knowledge all over the world. She's been on TV many times. She's been on very, very, very many uh, magazines, both uh, nationally in Italy and internationally. And uh, she is an amazing person. So, hello, Marisa. How are you? <laughs> Ciao, Monica. Hello, Monica. Yes, I'm okay. And thank you very much for hosting me. Okay, first of all, because I know everybody's wondering what an Imperaressa is. Allora, Imperaressa, it's literally the lady who strings. And what, what, the, what does she strings? Because I didn't explain it at the beginning, uh, but you actually, what you deal with. Actually, the, the lady strings beads, so she is a bead stringer. Okay, uh, beads from where? Glass beads from Venice, from, from Venice, Venice made of the famous glass which is produced in the city. So the Murano glass, right? Exactly. We go back to that in a second, but first I would like you to explain where the word Imperaressa come from because it's a very particular word. Allora, the word Imperaressa, which which is quite difficult to pronounce as many R's, it derives from the dialect, the Venetian dialect, uh, the verb impirar, which means to stick, actually to string, but to stick. And it derives directly from the Greek word piron, which stands for fork, because they say that the use of fork was brought to Venice from a uh, Byzantine princess, very fine lady that married to a doji, 
and so we use the word impirar in order to describe the gesture of uh, actually sticking something. Mm -hmm. And how is uh, this uh, bead stringing achieved? Actually, the bead stringer, you can see even in the depiction that were made by Giovanni Grevenbroch uh, in the 18th century, uh, she uses, uh, she used to work with, and still today we use the same, uh, very long and fine needles that actually are uh, used in a sort of box full of uh, tiny little beads glass beads we call conterie mm -hmm. and uh, keeping these very very long needles uh, in uh, the fashion of a of a fan mm -hmm. uh, we actually uh, string them into the needles and then uh, after they go in the thread so, so it's a uh, yeah yeah so you use this technique now to make uh, jewelry a particular type of jewelry but yeah. in the past, this, techniques, uh, this technique was used for what? Allora, the technique of stringing the beads with very long needles to make the work quicker uh, was um, basically uh, intended for uh, stringing beads as a packing system for their shipment all over the world. So mm -hmm. the impirarese, the bead stringers, uh, used to actually make bundles of these uh, strong beads in order to make their shipment easier because we're talking about really really tiny glass beads right yes we're talking about the seed beads the tiny ones that are still today used by many communities all over the world many native community like in africa or also in america and uh, that you have seen probably in your life everywhere, uh, even used for embroiderings or embellishment of different types, the tiny, tiny seed beads. Right. So they created these bundles and then the bundles were sent off uh, where? Everywhere in the world. Oh, everywhere wow. in the world, mainly to Africa, but mm -hmm. uh, where they are still used, like, for example, by Maasai, Maasai people of Kenya and Tanzania or uh, to Native American uh, communities uh, where they started uh, being sent uh, in after the second half of uh, 1800. Right. And are these beads uh, still produced? No, these tiny seed beads, uh, those that are still around, the original Venetian ones that are still around, are uh, beads that come from former productions and uh, are kept in uh, deposits not only in Venice, but also all over the world. And because the making of the Venetian seed beads actually stopped uh, in the late uh, 80s, beginning of 90s of the 1900s. Why did it stop? Because we went out of market with the costs, in right. the sense that uh, in other places where uh, they were made mechanically, mm -hmm. completely industrially, the costs were much uh, lower, and uh, despite the fact that the Venetian ones were very, very good quality, we actually became uh, no longer competitive. Because, of course, the Murano glass beads, like not just the seed beads, but like the proper bigger ones, are all made by hand, right? 
the Venetian glass seat beads were made with a proceeding work which was long and tedious and made of several different steps of proceeding of work and therefore very expensive, very high quality, but very expensive. Right. So the, uh, the beads that you use nowadays are all vintage beads then? Yes, firstly, I have to use the, if I want to work with Venetian beads, and I want to work with Venetian beads, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually um, take advantage of the very good quantity of beads that I accumulated in the years and uh, come from former production, sometimes very old production of Venice, like end of 1800, beginning of 1900s. Okay, so... As I was saying before, you're a jewelry maker, so you actually took these beads and you now transform them into jewelry. But your jewelry is a bit different from other uh, jewelers, right? Uh, because you spe you specialize in making coral branches, right? I actually tried uh, all of the different, I really challenged myself in making something different because I always ask myself why people should buy one of my things instead than, you know, another producer. Well, another I, can I can tell you why, because, <laughs> because they're beautiful, but I'm a bit biased, so that's another story, okay? <laughs> so I really uh, tried to learn uh, uh, and sometimes even self-teaching myself because you know uh, not everyone uh, it's really actually well disposed in uh, in teaching you an art that is actually uh, an art that is dying in a way because there aren't that many imperialists left in Venice uh, right? but there is this uh, sort of uh, you know a uh, legacy mm. uh, the Venetian the Venetian way of the Venetian artisans uh, they don't really want to teach you exactly what they do because it's a sort of protection. Right. And, um, and so I really challenged myself in making everything that was possible to be done from embroidering, from stringing with wire. And the making of the coral uh, branches or uh, mm -hmm. these pendants that I do, these pieces that I do, the dimensional pieces that look like coral branches. And, with and, by the the way, and by the way, to the people that are listening, they do like coral branches. So much so <laughs> that uh, sometimes when she posted pictures, people comment, oh, I hope you didn't harm that coral, poor thing. And she goes, no, it's glass. <laughs> so, it's the, yeah, you know, sometimes people, it's, it's a little, or, or disgusted because, of course, a coral, coral is one of the endangered species. Of course, yeah, yeah. But, but also sometimes disappointed because they think it's real coral. And <laughs> when I tell yeah. them, no, it's glass. Of course. Uh, uh, the price a is a bit different. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a particular technique and I like it a lot. And also I like uh, making corals out of seed beads because it's a sort of symbol of Venice. Mm -hmm. Right. Venice, you know, the, the queen of seas and so. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and coral also was used in the past. It's uh, good luck, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the, the, there is a, a very large number. There, there are... There are many symbolism that are uh, tied to the use of coral in the Mediterranean culture. And first of all, if you look at the ancient paintings uh, from Antonello di Messina or Crivelli or others, 
you will see baby Jesus in the arms of La Madonna wearing a little branch of coral around the neck. It's a, it's a sort of amulet. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of symbol of the passion of Christ. It's the symbol of life because mm -hmm. uh, it's the color of blood. Yeah. And uh, it's so full of uh, mystic and magical and uh, mythological uh, significances uh, that uh, really I cannot really think about something more Mediterranean than the coral. Mm -hmm. Now, what's very interesting is that uh, you go into this uh, much later in life, before you were doing something completely different, right? Well, I must admit that I was a little crazy when I started my own business at 46 years old. Well, it's never so... too late, you know, <laughs> and you really are the proof of it. Uh, well, it was a little bit of a challenge because the passion was and still is uh, huge. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, mm -hmm. when you uh, start a business, uh, you also need some... Uh, practical, uh, you know, uh, uh, skills uh, of an entrepreneur, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I must confess, uh, I, I don't think I have them. <laughs> <laughs> don't be silly. Oh, by the way, <clears throat> to anybody that goes and look at her website or get a chance to meet uh, 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 Marisa in Venice, she is amazing. The things that she's achieved in how many years now you've been uh, uh, a jewelry maker? Uh, well, uh, I am 62, you count. Ooh, okay, all right. In a few years, okay, she has achieved so many things. As I said before, <clears throat> in 2018, you won, uh, you were given this award by the City of Venice, mm -hmm. the San Marco Award, that is a very coveted award in the city because it's given only to the people of Venice that have achieved a lot in their lifetime. And to you, it was given for being the best ambassador for the artisan, right? Yes, I was very pleased and, um, because this award is given also by mm -hmm. popular, uh, popular election in the okay. sense that uh, every year uh, the city of Venice uh, receive uh, some uh, suggestions mm -hmm. by common people, by the citizens. And, uh, and they choose a number of people, of citizens uh, that uh, they reckon are, uh, you know... Uh, um, are worth it. <laughs> exactly. Are worth it. You are say. worth it. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> actually, I almost even didn't even believe when they, they called me and they told me. And uh, I was very humbled. And <laughs> it was a very precious moment of my life yes i can imagine the ceremony you must have felt so proud and happy well i was in good company of many other venetians that okay. were awarded in different categories uh -huh. like in uh, you know helping uh, volunteer volunteers yeah. or or people that has done something particular and they do this award that they give these awards every year yes i am very proud of it well, it was a, a recognition of all the hard work that you've done to support uh, the artisans in the city, not just the Imperarese, but and not just the, uh, the people involved with Murano Glass, but li literally at all levels. And uh, you 
in the years you've done a lot of work with TV and uh, uh, newspapers and magazine to try to spread the word of what we say the made in Venice. That is a bit even further than the made in Italy. It is because it is local. Um, don't and this was a recognition, wasn't it? Well, let's say that uh, yes, you are right. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to seem that, you know, I have done so much. But oh, yes, my God. I, I'm telling you. You're not telling us. I'm telling them because obviously you but, have done. <laughs> you're so, no, you're you know, so humble. You know what? No, you know what? I, I know how an artist on feel because I, I, am, I have been through that in the sense I've been through the difficulty, all of the difficulty, all of the struggles of being an artisan and being an artisan in the most curisted place of mm -hmm. the planet. Yeah. So I know what mass tourism means and how it can really flatten everything. It's like every industry, uh, it's like Attila, mm -hmm. uh, wherever the, the, the army of the mass tourists pass through, uh, it's difficult to preserve a local yeah. identity and local yeah. diversity. And and I've seen for many years, or my all of my colleagues, not only the my colleagues in my field of uh, uh, craft, uh, so mm -hmm. the glass beads in general, but also other crafts being literally wiped away. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I I started really em empathizing with them, and 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 really I I tried my best to spread the word uh, and mm. helping them i was helping myself as well mm -hmm. i so so for the people that are listening i actually well me and marisa known each other for a few years now we she's one of my best friends sorry but obviously the first uh, podcast had to be done with one of my best friends uh but uh, it's very interesting actually how we met because i'm a blogger i started as a, uh, my first blogging experiences in 2008 and she was one of the first people that actually got to interview because uh, we uh, kind of connected on Facebook. I can't even remember how, but I keep seeing her comments and what she was writing about the artisans. And she had this little shop in Calle della Mandola in, um, in Venice. And I remember one day I literally walked through the door and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Marisa, um, I walked through the door and I, you know, I said, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I said to her, I would like to um, do an interview, uh, write a blog post of, uh, about you. And literally from that moment, we just became best friends. It didn't take long, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> no. And it was really no. funny because we literally just clicked because immediately we connected because we both, in, both in different ways, but we both were trying to give the same message outside uh, uh, to, to the people as in uh, look there are hundreds of artisans in venice why are you going on and buying the stupid uh, horrible souvenirs when you can buy really good products in the city that will last forever and you support the city at the same time so um how important is the made in venice i mean is as I was saying before, it's a step further than the made in Italy, isn't it? Well, the made in Venice, uh, uh, it's the result of hundreds of years of history, mm -hmm. and, uh, and 
whatever you look at in Venice that is uh, crafted, uh, and it's normally crafted following methods that are century old. And that is important because it reflects the the mere the mere uh, um, genesis of Venice, uh, the the birth of Venice, the birth of Venice on commerce, on craft, on exchanges, on journeys, on the caravans of the ships uh, going around the Mediterranean, buying, transforming, uh, bringing somewhere else. And it's it's a process that has lasted for centuries and has created the wealth and the culture that now you admire in form of stones. Okay, now we see the stones. Now we see the beautiful stones described by Ruskin. But behind the stones, that are many human lives mm-hmm. that have created beauty, that have created worth, that have transformed the material into something worthy. So this power, this alchemic power of transforming a material into something that has an higher worth, it's it's Venetian in the most pure of the essences. So no matter what you look at, is it a gold leaf which is still hammered by hand? Is it a perfume made by a famous muschiere, as they mm-hmm. say, a perfume maker? Is it glass from the glass furnace or a glass bead? Is it leather? Whatever you look at, it's the result of a long, long Journey. It's a thousand six hundred years of journey that the Venetian people have done to bring to you today what the city is. Mm. And I think it's what <clears throat> at the moment uh, the city, as in the authority, are really forgetting. Um, but I think this is will be one way to bring the right people to the city for the people to want to stay in the city longer instead of one night or maybe two nights. And both changing the type of uh, not just the numbers of people coming to the city, but also <clears throat> the type of people. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's uh, I, I totally think that educating and understand and showing people what the city has to offer. That is not just a ride on a gondola or going to St. Mark's Square to visit the Doge's Palace. There is so much, so much more. Uh, and I think it's all. 1600 years history, you don't discover it just by going to a museum. You discover it also talking to the people, right, of a city. Uh, uh, I, I think that like everything that you do that is important, you must prepare yourself. Exactly, exactly. Before uh, you come. Before <clears throat> you come, long before you come. I mean, you should, you should. I, I really don't want to teach anyone, but I think that... Um, at least for me, it's like that. If I go to a place that I reckon important, and if my uh, journey has been planned and, and it's expensive and it takes time and he has to, you know, it, it's an occasion, it's a lifetime occasion sometime, I really want to plan it in advance and know in advance what uh, 
I will prefer to see, well, especially today that, you know, we tend to be uh, much quicker in our stays in the places than we used to be before, like during the period of the Grand Tour. Uh, people used to come to Venice for a month, yes. month and a half, even two. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in a, such a long time, in a, such a stretched uh, permanence in the city, you would really uh, enter in the mood of the place and, mm -hmm. and, and actually start breathing uh, with the rhythm of the lagoon. Mm. But if you come for one or two days... Uh, uh, even more uh, true, you must be prepared and you must prepare yourself. And there are excellent bloggers like you, Monica. Thank you. That, uh, <laughs> you're, you're not biased at all. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if I have to mention one, of course, I mentioned you. Of course. Uh, that has done for years and years mm. such a selection. You have been like creaming the milk mm -hmm. and you've done a selection of what was best to experience so just follow the work of the expert you don't even have to uh, like uh, it doesn't even have to be so fatiguing mm -hmm. it needs to be fun you you just do a search what's best to do in venice and you choose you choose what it's the nearest experience or experiences to your own uh, yes. personality. I, th I think there is a problem at the moment as well, but a lot of people come over and want to do what needs to be done instead of doing what they would like to do. Uh, and I think, as you were saying, the research helps you to understand uh, what you really mm. want to do in a city. Like for me, I when I go to a city, I like to go to a museum, but I like also to have... Um, a good run through the food of a city for me is you know is what I do so that's what I like so when I plan my holidays generally is always okay I'm going to this place what can I see what restaurant is there next door that I can go and visit um some other people might want to see okay I like shopping okay what can I buy in Venice that is original that is different where can I go and do that yeah so um Research is so important, and I think it's uh, that's one of the reasons why this podcast was started, this series, because I wanted people to understand Venice from the point of view of the Venetians that work and live in the city. Okay, not necessarily just live, or you know, because you can work like me and you. We, we don't live in the city anymore, but uh, you know, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I think it's very important. So going back to you and your work, you opened your shop in Calle della Mandola, but unfortunately because of many personal uh, uh, circumstances, you actually had to close the shop, but now you are in a most wonderful location, right? Yes, I know uh, I'm working from 2020 uh, after the second uh, lockdown. I am working uh, at, uh, actually, after the first lockdown, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, I lost track of the lockdown. Oh, many lockdowns we done, yes, okay. <laughs> uh, I am working at Bottega Cini. Bottega Cini is a new space. It's a cultural uh, shop. And it's uh, just in front of the gallery of Palazzo Cini, which is a, one of the very important uh, museums of the Dorso Duro Museum Mile. So to understand 
and uh, to let who's listening uh, understand better. We, we are between the Academia Gallery and the Peggy Guggenheim Collection. Mm-hmm. And so in Dorsoduro, which is a very elegant and calm, very quiet neighborhood mm-hmm. of Venice. And I have been working there from uh, June 2020. Uh, because I was called by the founders of this uh, lovely gallery, Mr. Marco Vidal and Giovanni Aliata di Montereale, who is the nephew of Vittorio Cini. Um, of the Fondazione but, Cini. Esatto. Uh, I was called, uh, I was called uh, to, to become a resident artisan. And, and, and a resident artisan, it's really a way of saying that we invented, because uh, you mm-hmm. heard you hear a lot about uh, resident artists, artist, yeah. But, but resident artisan, it's really a we we can say that it's a social experiment. Mm-hmm. And I I think uh, I, I I don't know really, but I think I'm the first one in Venice and probably even the first one in Italy. I don't know if there are some examples around the world. Mm-hmm. Literally, I have been adopted. Yes, you have, um, haven't you? And it was supposed to have been a temporary thing, wasn't it? And now you become... No, not really. They no. wanted to... Not really, because they wanted to have someone uh-huh. inside the shop that uh, would actually practice a craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that they have selected me because the work I do doesn't require a lot of machinery. I don't do dust. I don't do noise. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't do smells. I don't work with. I don't like, know. I, I think. I think the real reason is another one, Marisa. I do uh, think. I mean, by the way, we are gonna be interviewing the people from Bottega Cini in the next podcasts, and also Mr. Marco Vidal. So we'll ask him directly why I invited you. But my personal opinion is that you've been asked because. You do, in a way, represent the Venetian artisan, but you don't just show it, you do know how to express it with words. So I think it's very interesting because when people walk into Bottega Cini, that is an amazing place, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. and I'll tell everybody, you should definitely want to go, it's definitely all made in Venice, um, objects there, and they are beautiful. Uh, Marisa, in a, th- in a second, will tell you where they go. But I think it's because you, when people walk and they walk through your side of the shop, you come out always learning something. Even I, that I come and see you quite often, I always come out learning something about Venice. So I think that's the real reason why you're there. No? Well, it's a cultural shop. It's a cultural gift shop. It's uh, it's not a, it's not only a museum shop like uh, mm. one would think it's really a hub for culture and this is why there is a, a multimedia area where some presentations are held where some videos are shown uh, you can uh, have an olfactory uh, experience because of course uh, the company also sells perfumes you can uh, enjoy okay, so let's, let's explain something Bob and not just perfume they are made in Venice perfume. Yes, exactly. And they are experiences because they tell about the history of Venice also in mm-hmm. 
the trade of spices and precious essences. But I was telling you, it's also a gallery. It's also an art gallery because uh, uh, currently we display, they display um, Safetzek, who's a Bosnian artist and that has an atelier in Venice, has been living in Venice for 25 years. And, uh, but uh, cyclists, we, there are, there are in display different artists, so mostly painters. Mm -hmm. And 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 I and there, and there are there is a number of crafts beyond what I do with beads. Mm -hmm. There is a number of crafters that uh, well known crafters like Fallani, the silk screens by Fallani, uh, the Postle. Moretti, Ercole Moretti, the and Murinas, a and a beautiful bookshop too. Yes, it's a bookshop. So you it's missing my book now. yet? Is missing my book yet? But no, the, your book is is gonna come, and hopefully in a few weeks we will have also the English version of yes, your book. Yes, so we, we need to keep a pestering. We need to keep pestering the publisher for that. <laughs> I I have a message for your editor. <laughs> Be quick. Be quick. <laughs> right, Marisa, another thing yeah. I wanted to talk to you about, it, even though uh, we will come back in another podcast about this, is the fact that as well as being a TV star, as well as being on medias and so on, you are also part of the uh, Comitato per la Salvaguardia delle Perle Veneziane, the Committee for the Safeguard of Venetian of the Art of Venetian Glass Beads. So just in case you're going to correct me. Did I say it right this time? Yeah? <laughs> yes, okay. indeed. Okay, so what is this committee and what is the, why is it so important, the Art of Glass Beads? I don't know, the Art of Glass Beads is not really the little sister of the making of glass in general. So, in fact, when we say when we talk about the, the glass beads in Venice, we say Venetian glass beads, we don't say Murano glass beads. Uh -huh. Because actually the glass beads were made all over Venice, not only at the island of Murano. Ah, okay. Uh, oh, see, see, told you every time I speak to you, I, I learn something new. So this is a new thing I didn't know. Okay, good. And the art of the glass beads in Venice started very early. Uh, the first documents, so the first written documents that you find in the uh, Venetian archives about the making of glass beads uh, dates back to the to 1338. Wow, so, a little long ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's really it's really something that it's so tied to the birth of Venice. And we can say that before the big objects like chandelier, when we talk about uh, Venetian glass, we think immediately about uh, vases, sculptures, uh, mirrors, uh, chandeliers. And big things that are made in the glass furnaces of Murano. But think about this. The, the biggest quantity of glass objects ever produced and the biggest quantity, the biggest economy that derives from the making of glass in Venice is tied to the glass bead making. Wow. And uh, just, what was it, 2020? You, the Art of Glass Beads was awarded, no, was made part of UNESCO, right? Allora, the Art of Glass Beads became uh, intangible heritage, uh, UNESCO intangible uh, cultural heritage uh, in December 2020. And, uh, it was a major, this was a major acknowledgement, wasn't it? 
Oh yeah, also because we did it, uh, uh, we, we are a group of people that started uh, uh, actually uh, being uh, promoting mm-hmm. the, the art of the glass beads in Venice many years ago, and in, at the 2010-2011. And uh, we slowly became, from a simple group, a informal group, we became a committee, mm-hmm. and uh, one day uh, the president of the of the committee, uh, Mrs. Christina Bedin, Dr. Christina Bedin, said, "Oh, we should apply uh, from uh, for UNESCO for becoming cultural heritage of mankind." And that was and a all- long, a long, a long ride, wasn't it? Oh yes, I remember saying, "Oh my God, we will never achieve that. It's going to be very difficult and very expensive." Yeah, and course. also because normally this type of proceedings uh, take not only a lot of time but also a lot of money and bureaucracy uh, because, as well, and a lot of bureaucracy, uh, which means also money because yeah, if you don't have a specialist that work for you, my and it's paid. Uh, it really takes much longer, and uh, I must say that we have been helped a lot by Claudia Cotica, who is an anthropologist that really took care of the most difficult papers together with Christina Bedin, and I worked on the street. I really created so many different events to involve uh, people of all different types, from school kids to, to um, grown-up people. Yeah. Uh, Organizing a, a little bit of everything, uh, even bid hunts, treasure uh, hunts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I think you were the first one to organize a, a glass beads treasure hunt in Venice, weren't you? Oh yeah, in 2012. Yeah. But listen, I want to talk to you this in another uh, episode. I wanted because I want to go into the depth of the committee, the depth of what you organize. But just very quickly, because. Uh, we are now recording is August. We are towards the end of August. and But next month in Venice, uh, we're in 2022, there's going to be the Venice Plus Week. And the committee uh, will be part, is playing a very big role this year compared maybe to the other year. This year looks to me like uh, the number of events and the importance that is given to uh, to you is a bit stronger. Am I Am I wrong? Uh, this is also, uh, this is uh, the international, 2022 is the international uh, glass, uh, the year, international year of glass. So uh, it's a very important edition, uh, the 2022, also because we come from uh, what we come, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a rebirth. And plus the fact that uh, from this year, the, even, the Venice Glass Week, has done a joint venture with uh, a, a fair, glass fair, industrial fair, a design fair uh, of Milan. Mm-hmm. And so from this year, the Venetian glass, bead, uh, the Venetian glass uh, week becomes uh, the Italian glass weeks. So okay. it's a very important addition because it really, uh, it's growing, it's becoming bigger. It involves Milan, which is the center for design and industry, and it's even more international. I heard the the Venice Glass Week this year has had 300 applications. Wow. Uh, But you as a committee, I know that you're organizing even more events compared to last year because you're going to have treasure runs run by you, correct? 
Yeah, so we are going to have even a, a contest which is organized by Alessia Fuga, our dear friend. Which I uh, am going to interview in the next few days as well. A contest about, you know, the, it's, it's entitled Your Bid for Venice. So it's a bid making uh, contest, mm -hmm. international contest, which is going to give us lots of satisfaction because mm -hmm. it's, it's becoming huge. It's already huge and will grow in the yeah. next Yeah. And uh, we are going to Milan. We are organizing lots of events in Milan too, a treasure hunt. Good. Uh, where, where can we find all of these informations? Allora, you can, I spent uh, all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of today, course. I took a day off job and I spent all day in front of the computer. So I think you can go to the site of the Italian Glass Week. Okay. And you look through the many events, you will find okay. also events. It's all in English too. Good. You will find many of the events organized by the Committee for the Safeguard of the Art of the Venetian Glass Beads. Good. Now, before I'll ask you about where we can find you, I have one question for you. Actually, yeah. two. Very mm -hmm. quickly. One, your favorite type of bead? Allora, my favorite type of bead, it's very hard because it's like, uh, you know, if I had 10 kids and you ask me, uh, <laughs> your favorite seed, I, I, I wouldn't be able to answer. Ah, we all can tell who the favorite kid is, trust me. Allora, uh, if, we, if we talk about uh, seed beads, okay, mm -hmm. because we must at least divide yes. uh, the two categories of the seed beads, I would say, uh, I'm working a lot now with this beautiful striped uh, beads uh, that we call strica in Veneziano. Okay. They are lovely blue and white stripes. Okay. I love them. I found some of them in a box. After forgotten. I, <laughs> forgotten. And I'm, I'm really loving them. If we talk about lampwork beads, so the bigger beads, I would say I really love I really love the Mille Fiori glass beads, the okay. flower, the glass mosaic beads. I find them very intriguing. So for the people listening, we're going to be talking about the, all the different types of lamp-worked beads in an episode with Alessia Fuga that I will be interviewing the next few days. And she's a bead maker, a lamp bead maker, and she's incredible. She's one of the best in the world and uh, so she will explain all the different type of lamp or beads so after you know if you carry on listening in the, in the series you'll find out what a mille fiori is now my last question is about venice uh unfortunately due to again personal circumstances you had to leave the city mm -hmm. you, you work in there um what are the biggest problems, very quickly, eh? you go about five minutes, no, less, three minutes. What are the biggest problems in the city at the moment? Uh, money. <laughs> yeah, that was quick. I have this personal explanation for everything. Uh, if, you, if you don't know, if you don't understand why something happens, you follow the track of the money. Ah, okay. Uh, Allora, um, um, come si dice avidità in inglese? How, oh, how do you... uh, uh, oh. oh, I can't think of it. Oh. Okay, when you want more and more and more of something. Allora, as, as, as lots, uh, lots of 
Venetian people, uh, uh, they have uh, lost their mind for money. Mm. They have lost so much their mind for money that uh, they forgot about the long-term benefits of having a city remaining alive. Mm. That's all I have to say. Okay. Okay, yeah, we don't want to be too nasty about it. We'll no. save that for another episode, shall we? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I am not, you know, I have been living in Venice for almost 40 years, okay? Mm-hmm. And after my uh, late husband uh, died, I, I, for personal reasons, I have to sell my house and go away. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to buy again another place even if smaller in the city mm-hmm. but most of all I didn't wanna throw away the money that I had left from a lifetime of sacrifices into a property that wasn't worth it yes because of the avidity of people mm-hmm. and 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 this is why I decided to go back where I came from which is Marghera where mm-hmm. I was born and raised uh, which is only five, ten minutes of bus ride from from the city, and I decided to 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 stay here, to live here, and I don't really have any regret because I think that you can be in Australia and do good for Venice. Absolutely, I have, I have friends that live in Australia and they do so good for Venice. Mm-hmm. So, Marisa. Where can we find you? As of course, physically at Portegaccini, not yes. to, not to Tuesdays and Wednesdays, correct? No, because I'm off because yeah. I want to have a life. Of course, <laughs> and you should, and rightly so. Uh, so at Bottegaccini and online, where was your website? My website is very simple. It's literally my name: www.marisaconvento.it. And where do we find you on social media? On social media, you find me with my name or with Venetian Dreams. So it's either Marisa Convento or Venetian Dreams, which is the name of my... And we can uh, find you on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, right? You find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram and... uh, I will be there. <laughs> oh, you will be there. Okay, Marisa, what can I say? Thank you so much, but we're going to speak again soon. We will talk about uh, the, com- the committee, the comitato, but in another episode. It was Thank lovely you. talking to you. And uh, guys, for me too. all Marisa's uh, um, uh, her website and all her social media uh, handle will be on the episode at the end of the episode anyway I will repeat them for you Marisa thank you so much have a lovely evening and, uh, and thank you for listening thank you everyone for listening and thank you Monica for hosting me ciao cara ciao baci baci a huge thank you to Marisa for taking part in this podcast. You can find her in Venice, of course, at Bottegaccini, but you can find her online as www.marisaconvento.it. Uh, you will find this information on the description of this podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Venice Talks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find all the other episodes on all major podcasts platforms and you can find me on my blog www.monicacesarato.com if you want to know more about venice please feel free to send me an email 
or to write a comment under this podcast and I will be happy to answer in the next episodes. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.